Hey, my name's Heather, and I'm a recovered alcoholic, and uh, very happy to be here tonight. Uh, I want to thank John for being my reluctant 10-minute speaker. He's being sweet. He said I asked him, but I didn't. I told him. <laughs> we live together, actually. He's my husband, so there's that. But um, And I want to thank Pej for asking me to speak. Um, I appreciate and love you, brother. Um, so I got nerves. I was fine until like two minutes ago, and then I was like, oh, shit. But um 45 minutes is a bear on Zoom, but um, I appreciate all the faces that are looking at the screen right now. Um, I appreciate you. So um, I guess I'll get started. Um, yeah, like I said, my name's Heather and I am an alcoholic. And um, like John said, I, I um, you know, the circumstances that I'm about to go into really don't define me as an alcoholic. They're just part of my life story, but, um, I will get to what defines me as an alcoholic here in a little bit because that's really important. It's extremely important, I believe. I, I spent a long time in AA uh, not understanding what I suffered from, um, saying I was an alcoholic and having no idea what that meant, just like hanging out with you guys. And um, I mean, I was in and out for, for some time, for some years uh, like that, you know, and um, uh, uh, I don't think it's anybody's fault. I think it's, you know, when it's your time, it's your time and God takes you where, where you need to go and opens your ears to what you need to hear. Uh, but, um, yeah, you know, there was a, a long time I was in AA, uh, just like hanging out and, uh, fellowshipping and trying to look really good and, um, you know, doing a lot of, things to be seen and, but just suffering, like suffering from the disease of alcoholism and not understanding what was wrong with me. Um, so I'll go, I'll go back some, since I have 45 minutes, I'll tell my whole damn story, but I, <laughs> I'm from originally, I grew up in Arkansas, in a little bitty town, um, like 1500 people where I grew up. Um, I was, uh, you know, I was a pretty positive kid. I um, actually I was kind of shy, but I was also, um, you know, a pretty positive kid and uh, had a lot of energy. And I, you know, in this little small town, well, okay, wait. So I come from a pretty good family, but like my nuclear family, my mom and my dad, there were some problems. My dad was uh, attracted to young women. So there was some sexual inappropriateness. Um, not like I've heard much worse stories than mine, but it doesn't take like severe stuff to do damage, right? Like it, there was some, you know, it, I mean, even looks can, can do damage. So uh, there was that. And then my mom was really young when she had me. She was only like uh, 18 years old when she had me and she was really emotionally immature. So there was like a lot of screaming. There was a lot of violence and there was some sexual inappropriateness. So I had a lot of stuff on my shoulders. Um, but like I said, I was um, a pretty positive kid. And um, I remember young before puberty started, before I started drinking and using, I, I was... Um, attracted to, I would go to church with my friends and I was really 
attracted to the idea of uh, having a God that was personal to me that would take away all my pain and all my worry. So in Arkansas, I mean, it's part of the Bible Belt. There's churches on every corner. So I got saved and baptized all around town. And um, that idea of just like surrendering to something like resonated with me. And I wanted that as a little kid. But as I got older and hormones kicked in, uh, around 12 years old, all hell broke loose. Because underneath like all that stuff I was carrying, there was quite a bit of anger and it kind of broke to the surface. And this is like a, a few things started happening then, right? Like I had just been trying to be a good girl up until that point, but then all that anger came out and I started uh, realizing I could do things in the world to make myself feel better and to make myself feel dif different. And one was alcohol. I found the alcohol underneath the cabinets in my family's room and I would like sneak it out and, um, you know, take a little bit out of each thing. I drank some nasty shit, y'all, because I would like mix all the different stuff. And then I'd throw like some ice cream in it so I could stomach it. <laughs> but, you know, any just to get that head change. But um, I started doing that. And then um, my mom and dad had gotten divorced when I was young, like around third grade or something like that. But so that was at my dad's and my mom's there was weed. I started stealing weed. And um, so he's drinking and smoking weed. And uh, that gave me a lot of relief. Like, and it was fun. Like then it was just a lot of fun. And um, I also started fighting. Um, and that was something I did for years and years too, like raging and fighting. And it was kind of ridiculous because I was little, right? Like you can't, we're not in person, so you can't see I'm only five foot tall. and. Uh, back then, I think I might have been shorter than that. So I don't know. I would get my butt kicked, but I didn't care. I didn't care. It was more about feeling different. And I didn't mind. I was just like the outburst and the, you know, just the rawr of it. So, so there was that and I became promiscuous. And if you look into the textbook of children that have been um, um, objectified, then one of the, the things is that they become promiscuous early on. So it was just like a classic textbook. So so there was all that going on and you couldn't have told me from age that started at 12 you couldn't have told me from from that time until 17 when i ended up in my first rehab you could not tell me i had a problem with alcohol or drugs you just couldn't like you couldn't tell me i was 100 percent convinced that all of my issues had to do with my circumstances and that if you had you know were living with what i had to live with and went through what i went went through that you would be doing exactly the same thing. There was nothing you could do to convince me otherwise, like absolutely nothing. And, uh, you know, I managed to make it through school with pretty good grades or whatever. I was, I was just, I was a smart kid. And um, then I ended up in that first rehab when I was 17. And, um, you know, there was like the shit on the walls and whatever. I, they gave us the Hazelden pamphlets. And like I said, I'd been a good student. So I, I filled it out and turned it in to get my A. I was like rocking rehab. At least I thought I was. I thought I was like kicking ass and like getting A's and taking names. And and then the end of 30 days, they're like, oh, no, she's she's really messed up. She needs a lot more help. <laughs> I was like, oh, man. So from there, then I ended up in um, a Christian rehab because my parents couldn't afford like a, a regular. The, the state had paid for that one because I got in a little trouble with the law. But um 
so yeah, they couldn't afford it. So I ended up in Nashville, Tennessee is something called Women's Challenge. And it was like teen challenge they have out here. And it was like church all day long, like every night at church. And uh, I mean, just all chores all day and like Bible study all the time. And, um, you know, I actually, I, I actually kind of, it, it reminded me back, you know, like that stuff that I did before I, the hormones hit. I actually like took to it and I got way into it and I was uh, speaking in tongues and dancing in the spirit and having like these really powerful spiritual experiences and um, there was no talk of the 12 steps. It was just all, all God, right? So all, all the Bible and Jesus and that stuff. So I was in there, you know, until I turned 18 and then when I turned 18, I was like, huh, they can't keep me in here anymore. Hmm. So I started thinking, and I think it was like, I don't even think a week went by till I was on a bus headed back to Little Rock, Arkansas, headed home. I was like, let me get on with my life, man. Like that's, it's just, you know, now I'm 18. Now I can go out and get my life started and like everything will be okay. And um, so, so yeah, so I did. And so I get off the bus in Little Rock, Arkansas and within an hour, I am high on Sherm in um, somebody's house that I didn't know in some part of Little Rock. I don't know. I was just like, you know, and the, the thing was, is that I had no intention of doing that. I really, my intentions were to get off that bus, praise Jesus and get on with my life and have a good life. Right. That was my intention. And, uh, and then I find myself in this situation. Right. So, uh, I can't really remember what happened after I, I made my way home as somehow. And then, um, I tried to, uh, Oh, my grandmother was moving out to Florida and I was like, that's it because I had a good enablers and you know, I had them all. They knew I had it hard as a kid, right? They had their, their share of guilt and whatever. So they were really great enablers. And, and so whatever I said, Oh, it's just, Arkansas and it's dad like I have to get out of here blah 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 and so they said they I got to go to Florida so I ended up in Florida and um and I I got out there and I'm still praising Jesus and like my plan is to do everything right and I got a couple of jobs but then I found myself really lonely and the only way that I have made friends or connected with people since I was 12 years old is by partying with them you know so what do I do? I find people to party with and, you know, and I'm drinking. And of course there's other things in Florida that are, are, um, you know, tempting to someone like me. And so Florida ended up being, <laughs> talk about demoralization. I know, I know what demoralization means. <laughs> I don't need you to read a definition. I love that shit. Uh, you know, there, there were things I did to compromise myself in the pursuit of more, you know, there, there were things that I, you know, I, I did things I never thought I would do in the pursuit of more, you know, and I didn't understand that I suffered from a physical allergy. I didn't have a clue. I just thought I was a piece of crap, right? I thought I was just like a piece of crap. And like, I was just baffled by myself, you know? Like I, I was smart, I got good grades, like I had all these good intentions and I would just end up a mess, 
you know, in all kinds of trouble. And, um, you know, and I really, like, I, I would try so hard. I ended up, I was in Kissimmee, I ended up in Miami, and I'm like, I'm trying so hard. And I, and I would have these periods where I was good, and I wasn't drinking or, or drugging or anything. And, I, and I'd, um, you know, I'd have these periods, and I, I'd feel like I'd get it going on. And then the next thing you know, boom, there it is again, right? Like, my thing was, like, I just kept trying to pull off. Like, all I really wanted to be able to do was to party one weekend out of the month, right? Can I just get, like, tore back one weekend out of the month? And then the rest I'll do life and be like, whatever. But I need that one weekend for a release, man. Like, I need it, you know? Um, but, you know, it was never one weekend. It always turned into much longer than that. And, um, and, and you know, toward the end of... of my being out there it was like years so but i would do things like get myself enrolled in school and uh go see the therapist and uh really put a lot of effort into trying to figure it out right and um just try to muster all my willpower and all my effort into just being a good person into like figuring this out but somehow i always ended up drunk you know and then um I got myself in a situation in Miami where I was about to be on the street, like walking down the street, like the, the boulevard, let's put the boulevard, not the street. And, um, and it freaked me out. So I called my mom and here comes rehab number two back in Arkansas. And um, I'm going to ride before nine, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. And um, so second rehab, um, I think, I don't know, it lasted like a month. And then uh, I relapsed in Memphis. And then the same grandma that went out to Florida was coming out to California. So I made my way out here. And um, it was the same story, right? Like I was uh, praising Jesus and I got my little jobs and I was have full intentions of doing right and being good and getting my life going. Like I always really, really intended to do that. And, you know, and then I just end up drunk, you know, um, uh, and it would be behind being lonely and wanting to connect with people and just not having any idea how to do that, how to, to be around people sober, like how do you know, I haven't done that since 12 years old. I just don't, I feel like an alien. I just don't like, I don't know. I don't know how you just hang with people and be yourself. Like I can't even put my head around that. And, um, you know, so I ended up, you know, I just ended up in the lifestyle, drinking and drugging. And um, at some point, I thought it would be a good idea to go up in the gentlemen's clubs because I like shortcuts, right? Like I, I couldn't put my head around how people would have just these regular jobs. And I, I was so full of fear. I was really, honestly, I just wanted to be able to do life, but I was so full of fear. I just like you know, a shortcut where I could make a lot of money sounded like a good plan to me. And um, I like shortcuts and I like, I like a lot of money. So I ended up in the gentlemen's clubs. And for a while that was awesome because it provided the money that I needed to, you know, do some things on the outside and get the place and all that, all that stuff. And, um, you know, but, but, uh, you know, I ended up homeless anyway, right? Making hundreds of dollars a night and still I end up homeless. That's a pretty 
sad say well i could never make it to work was that was part of the problem but um uh yeah so so in 1999 i believe it was i had a bottom and i ended up in stanton detox and it was before it was part of the rock center it was like a separate entity back then and it was actually in stanton um and i was serious because i ended up homeless in long beach and i'd had some period of, periods of sobriety in my 20s like you know like i said i was like really just always trying to figure it out i didn't want to be living that way i really wanted to do life right and to, and to be okay um but i just kept ending up in trouble you know i get myself in school and then i'd end up in trouble and i'd have to drop out like this i i get myself as i just kept trying i just couldn't get it right and so 1999 i had one of my bottoms and um i ended up in stanton detox but i still had a plan man and and the plan was i had lost everything again right so it was like i can't quit dancing because how am i going to get a place how am i going to get a car like how am i going to do those things and and so i um i uh you know, I, I just have my plan. And uh, despite what anybody else said, I was gonna ex execute my plan. And and I did, you know, so I ended up, I kept dancing. I got myself a cute little apartment. I bought myself a cute little car. Uh, I got the outsides looking good. And I was doing AA, I was following all the rules. I was in a meeting every day. I did over 90 and 90, you know, I was like, in meetings all the time and um i was going to mostly women's meetings and women stick with the men, women and men stick with the men and all that stuff and i was again i was really really trying i had found myself another therapist and i was enrolled in school so i was doing all the things that i always try to do to manage my life right it's always in an effort of managing my life you know putting all this energy in it so i can have a good life and figure life out and um I, don't know, I had almost three years of sobriety and the, this guy asked me out and um like i said i was in a meeting every day and had a sponsor and this is a, I, I don't usually share this it's coming up right now but you know um sponsors don't always give good advice <laughs> like this guy scared me like my gut my gut intuition on this guy was to stay the hell away from him now my that would excite me back then right if something scared me it, it would excite me, but um, my gut told me to stay away from this guy, but my sponsor said, no, go ahead, go on a date, right? So, so you know, part of our process around here is we get we get in touch with our um, higher power who, who speaks to us, you know, and we get this vital sixth sense. And if, if we're working the pro program properly, we're able to depend and rely upon that, you know, because, you know, that's a decision that should have been made between me and God. But, you know, I wasn't working a program and it, it just was what it was. But anyway, this was a very intense, hot relationship. Like he was crazy and I was crazy and it was perfect. It was like, rah, you know, like totally hit the spot. And I, what I left out was like, I was miserable. I was in a meeting every day, but I was literally sitting on my hands. Like I was like, when is it going to feel better? I feel like shit. Like I've been around here three years and I was hanging on to the idea that maybe when I get five years, I'll feel better. Is it that maybe it takes that long? Maybe it takes five years before your head pops out of your ass or the miracle happens or whatever bullshit you hear, you know, like I'm just waiting on it to happen, you know? And, um, 
and so nothing's happened, but that worked. Like I got with him and I felt a lot better. And then, but just like any, you know, when, when it's people, places or things that are making me feel better after a while, I need more, right? Like it starts out that this much is enough, but then after a while it's like this much it needs to. So, you know, we started, I would start fights so that we could make up and keep the intensity level where it needed to be. So, you know, it started becoming more and more violent. One night it ended up in this like crazy, it was like, <laughs> there's some people in AA that know that were around when it happened and the Fullerton area, but I went to this place where he was at and he wouldn't come outside. So I like lost my mind and started beating on the side of his truck. And then he finally busted out of the door and, um, grabbed me, threw me on the ground and started kick kicking me across the parking lot. So I lost my shit because he did that and jumped up, got in my car, tried to run him over. He jumped out of the way. I ran into the side of his truck. I backed up and I did it again. This is like three years of sobriety, you guys. <laughs> yeah. And then I went home and got ready to go to jail. And um, sure enough, I went to jail with three years of sobriety for domestic violence, assault with a deadly weapon and some other charge, man going to meetings every day. And I always tell, I mean, this is my story, right? That's untreated alcoholism, y'all. That's, you know, three years of meetings every day, untreated. And that that's what, you know, for me, I mean, you might not be as crazy as I am, but uh, that is complete irritability, restlessness and discontent, right? So I ended up, in jail that night, um, the charges got dropped. It got turned to vandalism. Thank God. That was God working in my life, uh, giving me the second chance that I needed. I ended up in some anger management, was, which was actually really good for me. I learned some stuff in it. But I did end up going back out. And that was my last run. I was out for like two and a half years. And I lost everything again. Um, I was coming up on 35 years. Uh, 35 years of age and I was I was homeless I was sick I was running back and forth from Riverside to Orange County uh, still working in gentlemen's clubs just just a mess man and I I started getting to that place and I'm like god this is not what I wanted with my life like this is not the plan I had you know and I started having just really like what I can't keep living life like this. I just can't do it. And, um, you know, I ended up, um, like there, a bottoming out started happening in my spirit. I knew it, like a, a week before I ended up back in jail again, I knew it was happening. Like it started, I started like shifting and then I ended up back in jail again and I had some warrants out for me. So they kept me for like a week. And when I got out of jail that time, I ended up in a meeting that I ended up in a detox and they, they sent me to new directions for women and in, in Costa Mesa and my surrender like actually happened the minute I walked into detox. Now, I mean, it was just deep. It was a deep surrender. When I, I the problem was removed at that time. Now, when I say that, that's not to say had I not stuck around here and did the work that the problem wouldn't come back. I know 100% it would have. But I got that grace. 
I got that grace to um, breathe a little bit and, you know, to, to really fall into the surrender and to be able to do this work. I ended up being taken to a meeting. I mean, rehab is what it is. It's that separation that I needed. But really what I needed to do was to get in the work and to get in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And this time uh, God put me in a room where they were like speaking big book. And I had neatly avoided big book talk. I neatly evaded big book thumpers for, uh, you know, all of my sobriety before. But what, you know, God put me in there where I could, I could begin to hear a message that really would help me understand what I suffered from. Ended up getting a sponsor who took me through the big book and helped me to identify my disease um, and help me understand, like, you know, all this time I just thought I was a piece of shit and like all, you know, say our problems pile up on us and become uh, astonishingly difficult to solve. Like I was just completely disgusted with myself and who I had become and the things I had done. But I got to kind of start unraveling that by understanding that I really did have a disease. Um, I do want to welcome the newcomers in here. It's, uh, there's, there's quite a few of you and those that are still trying to like figure it out, like that's great, man. And that's, you know, that's where, I mean, I knew I was fucked and I needed a different way to go, but I didn't understand really what I suffered from, but getting this sponsorship that took me into the work, you know, we spent time talking about the allergy and I know this is real now. I never got it. I'd hear the word allergy before this and you know, it just go right over my head. Like what, I don't fucking get it right. Like the allergy, excuse my language. I'll try to watch that. But, um, you know, I had to look at my experience and ask myself, what happens when I have a drink? Like, do I just have one and walk away? Is that what happens? Maybe once in a blue moon, usually it's that second one that really gets me going. Right. But something happens where this switch gets turned and I get this craving, this phenomena of craving that won't allow me to walk away. It won't allow me to make the decision to stop and go do what I should do. Instead, it keeps me doing, getting more, drinking more, going after more, and it won't let go of me until it's done with me. At that point, I don't have any choice. Right. I lost all power of choice when I take a drink, like all bets are off, like the plane's going down and I just I can't stop until it's done with me. And then my experience showed me that like so many times, like, you know, I, I drank and I also did a lot of other things. And it would my intention would be just to stop off someplace for like an hour, but I'd be there three days later, like, you know. It talks about it in the big book a lot, like where Bill is uh, like, he ends up on a plane, like, go, like you know, on these to complete a jag, right? Being picked up at the airport by a friendly cab driver instead of his wife, right? Like, just like, I don't know what's going to happen, right? Crazy shit happens once I pick up a drink. So I have this allergy, I have this phenomenon of craving. And that's cool, right? Like if it were that simple where I was like, okay, yeah, now I see it. Oh, that does happen. So I'll never drink again because it, do it doesn't work like that, right? There's a story about Bill 
once he had been told this by uh, Dr. Silkworth, I think there's this story where he's like sitting in a bar or sitting somewhere and he's telling this guy like what he suffers from because he's finally got this self-knowledge, right? And then somebody offers him a drink and he takes it. And the guy, he just told the story of what he's suffering and like looks at him in shock, like, oh my God, you just told me you, you're suffering from this ter terrible disease and yet you take another drink and you know, like all this terrible stuff's gonna happen to you. Well, that's the thing, right? The crux of the problem is in my mind. It's like, I will make up my mind not to drink, but that means nothing. That means nothing. Like how many times have I said, that's it? This is causing too many problems. It's causing too many problems in my life. I'm not gonna do it anymore. And I do it again. I did that for years. You know, it talks about in the big book, like some people being young, like maybe they can see it and they stop, but usually like, uh, you wouldn't have been able to make me see it, you know? Like I had to go all the way to the bottom with it. Unfortunately, a lot of us have to do that till we get really bad consequences. But you don't have to if you can see it earlier, right? So what John was talking about in the first, I think second paragraph of We Agnostics, if when you honestly want to, can you, I forget exactly how it goes, I'm gonna paraphrase, if when you honestly want to, can you, uh, control the amount or, or when you honestly want to stop, can you stay stopped? Or when drinking, can you control the amount? Those are two questions we have to ask ourselves. And if we can't answer them, like if, if we're yes or no to those questions, then we're probably alcoholic. Sucks. <laughs> Right, but there was so much freedom in finally seeing that in myself because I, you know, having an understanding of it, okay, now I know what I'm suffering from, you know, and then the next part of that says that only a, only a spiritual experience can conquer. And so, you know, what that meant back then and what that meant means now are kind of different. Back then I was just so beat up. It was like, let's get it, let's go for it. And that put a fire under my ass to go for these steps, man. And, and work them like only the dying can, right? Like I never had before. Cause I really never had before. I had done some Hazelden pamphlets, but I had never really done with thoughtful consideration the steps where I made a real decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God and then having made that decision, doing the necessary action to make it real, right? Because the third step is just a decision. And unless you put the action in behind it, like it means nothing, right? So, so, and that action is four through the rest, right? Four through 12, you know? And what's really cool is like, after you go through your fourth step, you, you get to, you get down to the causes and conditions and you get to say, take a really good look at yourself so that when you reach, reach six and seven, you can have that full and complete. Well, as complete as it can be at the time, right? Cause this is like, we continue to grow around here. So you, you, it's like, there's different levels to it. So six and seven, when I first got sober is different than six and seven to me today. 
like each time I, I take my sixth and seventh step, I'm getting a deeper, more uh, full surrender to God, right? Like, um, so, and then with that full surrender, that, that being in that place of full surrender, I'm just motivated to do whatever else it takes. So then eight and nine, 10, 11, all of that just becomes easy. Like it's easy to go out and do amends because I want to, I want to do whatever it takes to live this life and to be close to God and to never drink again, you know? I mean, the eight and nine is to, to be of maximum service, right? We're doing that to be, so we can be of maximum service to God and our fellows. So we clean up the wreckage of the past. And then get busy with this 12th step. And I tell you, honestly, like I dove into the 12th step originally. Like, I just like, oh my gosh. And I didn't really want to do it because working with people felt awkward and weird. But I was like, oh, man, I have to. I have to because that's what the people in front of me are telling me I have to do. So I would sit down with people and I'd be like, Ugh, I'd be dreading it. And, and then those that were really willing, like there's some kind of energy and magic that happens. And God shows up in that space and you get totally energized. And it's like the best thing ever. It's like... And then your life just starts changing and you start becoming whole and shifting and, and your insides just become different. You know, it says that our, group, our roots grasp new soil. And before I got here, the only thing I could think about was me all the time. That's all I could think about. And all I did was like seek more. Like my life was futile. And I can honestly say, like, I'm a completely different person. I'm not thinking about myself all day long. Only, like, 70% now instead of 100%. <laughs> but the 10-step promises have been true for me for, for, for 15 years. I got sober in 2005. I've got 15 years, God willing, 16 in January. And... Uh, I have not once thought of alcohol as my solution in all of that time. I've had fleeting thoughts like, oh, that would be nice, like a cold beer or whatever, but not like, not the obsession has not been, I mean, the 10 step promises have come true for me. I'm in a place of neutrality. You know, that, and that's what we have to offer around here. If we'd be restored to sanity, then we can remember what happens when we pick it up. Right? Like, that's the sanity I'm seeking to remember that I can't do it. I can't pick it up. I have, a, I have an allergy. If I pick it up, I can't stop. And I've been able to remember that for 15 years. So I will say, you know, we continue to grow in understanding and effectiveness around here. And um, my first step, um, my, my first time through the steps and my experience when I got sober this time was extremely powerful. I had a powerful big book uh, recovery that like 
just rocked my world and I was very, very attached to that way of doing the work and very attached to, I mean, we were all about carrying the message, going out and speaking and carrying the message and sitting down with people doing a lot of 12 step work. And at some point in my little journey, I found myself um, kind of depending on the program a little more than God. So hear me out on that. Like from being super surrendered and like just in it with, you know, in the spirit fl flowing and becoming transformed and growing around here to at some point leaning more into the program than into God, meaning basing my my well-being and who I am on my actions around here than actually my connection with God. And so when my spirit, which of course, if I'm not connected with God and I'm slipping back into self-reliance, when my spirit gets restless and irritable and discontent again, and the bevel, develop, um, bedevilments that are on page 52 show back up in my life, you know, uh, I think, okay, well, let me just sponsor some more people. Let me just start some meetings. Let me like start a workshop. What can I do? You know, like, what can I do these activities instead of realizing, oh no, I need to like quit trying to run the show, step back and let God back in the driver's seat. Like get out of the damn driver. Here I am in the driver's seat again, right in front of everybody in AA, you know? And it took me a while to figure that out. Like I didn't understand why I felt like I just, I, I was feeling more and more like out of sorts and uncomfortable and uncomfortable around people. Like certain AA meetings would make me feel really uncomfortable. And I mean, you guys are my people, no matter where I go, like why should I feel uncomfortable around you? But that, that was happening. But you know, uh, my spirit is praying for me even when I don't know what to pray for. And um, I ended up being directed into another workshop and got to recently go through the work again and did a fourth step that was, um, we, we call it uh, going deep instead of wide. And I'm having this new experience, a new experience, right? We continue to grow in understanding and effectiveness. And um, I was able to see that I was holding very tightly to some roles in AA that no longer fit anymore. And that in order for me to continue and grow around here, I have to continue to be surrendered and to continue to seek God. You know, and that the, the thing has been accepting and coming to terms with my humanness and my imperfection. Um, I found myself thinking that I had to be a certain way around here and that if I just got my ducks in a row and like did things a certain way, like seeking some kind of AA perfection. I don't know if this speaks to anybody. It's just been my experience and I'm, I'm sharing it with you. And that there's, that was actually taking me away from God. And in order for me to get closer to God, I need to be in my truth and I need to be vulnerable and I need to accept that I'm human and that I'm imperfect and that that's okay, you know?
and that uh, my shared pain or my shared experience is what makes me valuable to people around here. So, you know, we just continue to grow. We continue to grow. And I'm, you know, when I first got in here, I told you I had all those like issues from childhood and I had no business in my first few years, like even thinking about those or paying attention to them because I needed to get sober, right? So I'd spent my time in rehab, I mean, in, uh, with therapy and that shit wasn't working. I needed to get good and sober. So if you're new in here, I would say focus on the big book, find yourself a sponsor and get good and sober. And then sometime way down the line, when you're firmly planted and you are super comfortable uh, living a sober life and you have a strong network around you, then you can start looking at those things and God will make a path and you'll know when it's time and you'll get to work on all the other stuff. So you have full, complete healing and you can be a whole person. So I think I managed to fill up almost 45 minutes. It's live. It's tough on Zoom, you guys. <laughs> it's, it's hard, but um, I appreciate the faces that kept looking at me the whole time. That's like more than I probably could have done. Um, and I know I see one face that heard me Thursday night. God bless you. <laughs> you got to you gotta hear it twice, right? I tried to shift it up a little bit, but whatever. God, it's God, right? But anyway, thank you so much for listening to me. Thanks, Pez, for having me out. And God bless you guys. And um, I'll put my number in the chat if anybody wants to talk to me for fellowship or sponsorship. I'm always available.